The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. So tell me, what's next for Preston Carpenter? Running for president? Perhaps, but only as an interim step. Interim to what? My next goal is to convince the governments of the world that we need an international federation, a United Nations with real teeth, a government to govern all governments. And who could possibly head such a body? Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, February 1st, 2018. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be we're joined in studio today by Western University's Associate Professor of Political Science, Salim Mansour. Welcome again, Salim. Thank you, sir. Salim, we're going to talk about Donald Trump today, the continuing Trump derangement syndrome, other things that are happening with developments with regard to Trump and what we can expect to happen in the near future. But before we get underway, let's make sure we remind our listeners that they can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Subscribe to Just Right on iTunes. Hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Visit us at www.justrightmedia.org, where you can access all of Just Right's social media links, including Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and, of course, all of our past broadcasts. Salim, I'm just amazed you were right. The last time we had you on the show, you said that the Trump derangement syndrome was going to continue, that the attacks would just continue. You know, I hate to do this to you, but I have a couple of quotes I wanted to read to you. Just to give you an idea of the flavor of what we are getting in the media here, two contrasting commentators, one internationally known, Gwyn Dyer, okay, and his headline reads, Trump's racism so inbred, he's utterly oblivious to it. He, he quotes Trump talking like, why are we having all these people from crap hole countries come here? And it's clear that he, what he meant by that was Central American and African countries and El Salvador and Haiti come in for special mention. And he wanted to know why the U.S. wouldn't be bringing in immigrants from non-crap hole countries like Norway. And he concludes, Trump is a racist, such a dyed-in-the-wool racist that he is unconscious of it. He prefers immigrants from nice white countries like Norway to brown or black immigrants from crap hole countries. Trump will not win this argument, he says. Then we have locally here Cheryl Ruth who writes in one of the local community papers, President Trump's first year is a calendar of crisis. And she talked about the the first year, that it's been one tedious, terrifying, and rant-filled year. And she points out, I'm not a mental health expert or doctor, so I couldn't begin to suggest any kind of official medical explanation for the president's actions. Let's just leave it at an unofficial something isn't right, she says. And that's what happens when you vote on popularity and not experience pulling candidates from the cult of personality only builds the cult, she says. And then, this is funny, the conclusion, I don't need to give you the list of Trump atrocities that have occurred in the last 365 days. Let's hope impeachment is on the horizon. And this is the vacuous kind of stuff we've been getting in the paper. Of course she doesn't need to mention one of the examples. She can't give one. 
Where are they? And why do they never mention one or never give an example? Well, it seems that um, we live in a world today. I mean, there was there was this famous uh, novel from the 1950s, it was, I think. Uh, uh, you, you guys might correct me on this, about Canada, The Two Solitudes. Remember that book? I remember Actually, the, book. the Two Solitudes refers to Quebec, Lower Canada, actually, the English and French of Lower Canada. People have taken it to assume that there are two solitudes in Canada as a whole, but, and, and I guess there are. But whatever, I'm not getting into the deep analysis of that book. The, the point is that two solitudes mean there were at least two Canada, English Canada, French Canada, and there was some sort of a estrangement in between or the lack of uh, understanding, empathy, so on. They, they lived in two different worlds. And if you live in two different worlds of languages, then you don't communicate with each other, right? Mm-hmm. I think this is true in America today. There are two Americas. There's the coastal America, uh, the blue states, uh, New York and L.A. And then there is the flyover America, the, the heartland of America, the red states. And there is very little communication between them. And the media, the American media, and that is replicated in the Canadian media, the people that you read, they live in the blue states. They live in the coastal culture of America or of Canada in that sense, big urban cities and their values, and then there's the rest of America. And Trump has in some ways brilliantly played on that. He throws, it seems to me, deliberately crumbs, or he hangs the baits on the fish hook, and these people are biting it and preoccupied with it, and they keep on dealing with Trump's vulgar language, Trump's bellicosity, Trump's rudeness, Trump's racism, Trump's dealing with women, people of color, Mexican rapists, and so on. Instability, insanity. I mean, Trump even had that medical examination where he insisted that they check his sanity, and he he proved, he scored a perfect score. And and he goes in and he tweets about them, and he talks about them, and that's it. He keeps throwing these crumbs to these people on a 24 by 7 basis around the clock. On the other side is what Trump is doing. Now, so if there's a dual personality, then the other side of the Trump personality is what he's doing is leading America to make America great again. And facts and figures and numbers are demonstrating that. You know, four quarters of 3% growth. Mm-hmm. You know, the Dow Joe, these are independent autonomous measures. These are not measures by the political journalist. Dow Jones hitting 26,000 and climbing, you know, the wage scale going up, companies coming back, tax reform taking place. Employment figures. Uh, Economy had just picked up and it's turbocharged. Foreign policy, America is back again and and America is being once again respected despite the howling and screaming of these political journalists, this pathetic Canadian creature, Gwyn Dyer, for instance, and and, and the people of his ilk. So there's this too. And, and, and Trump enjoys this game. Here's a man who came out of, like Ronald Reagan, who came out of film culture, Hollywood. Trump came out of, you know, reality TV. So he knows exactly how to play them, and he's playing them brilliantly. 
then I would assume that Trump likes the two solitudes because it gives him a chance to polarize America and, and force people to see what each side actually looks like. But it really takes a lot of effort, it has to, on the part of the left-wing media to ignore all the great accomplishments. It ha- like, you'd but have to be for, crazy. For, for, the, for the left-wing media, of the mainstream media, to write about Trump's accomplishment and what is happening would be the betrayal of their own narrative that they created. Mm-hmm. They ran with the narrative narrative that this man was so vulgar and he couldn't be elected. But that day's going to come, Salim. The, the, the reckoning's going to come when people are going to see what he has done and what they've failed to do, if you want to put it that way. Well, my sense is, again, you know, I mean, there have been various types of revolution and the coming of the print media that came about in the early 20th century and became such a huge factor, or maybe earlier than the early 20th century, sometime in the 19th century, but then grew, the print culture. That print culture was replaced by the cinema culture when Hollywood came along with movie culture. The moving pictures came along. Then that was replaced by the television. In between was the radio culture, the fire charts of uh, Franklin Roosevelt and so on. So technology keeps changing. What has happened in the last 20 years with uh, the coming of the internet, the World Wide Web, is the alternative media has risen. The alternative media, which is what, again, you and Mm -hmm. I are doing, you know, which has made it accessible for common people, common men and women to write, think, and spread their views. This alternative media, I think, is now killing the mainstream media. The mainstream media now is basically a place where people go to get their commercial advertisements or what is being sold in Walmart or what have you. It has been for quite a while. It has been quite yeah. a while, but it's become more so. You know, I mean, I, if the mainstream media had the clout, then Trump would not be the president. So something else was happening underneath the radar of the mainstream. And I think that has become more pronounced. That is... People have written off the mainstream media. They don't pay attention to the editorial. And it is like, again, like a child. The more and more the crying and the howling of a child is not paid attention to, there is, again, the increasing decibel that the child raises more to grab attention, Mm -hmm. not less. I think this is what... It is the infantilization of the mainstream media that is taking place because the drivel Gwyn Dyer is writing, you can see as you read it what a drivel that is. It's it's embarrassing. So let's come back to the crap hole thing, the shithole thing. The president had a week ago uh, when the, the story broke, he brought in the camera right into the White House, into the cabinet room, and let the cameras and the media stay there while he engaged in the discussion with the Democratic leaders and the Republican leaders from the House and the Senate on the question of immigration. He said, okay, you guys come up with your proposal and I will take a look at it. And I may even support you. And that was an open discussion that took place. The following day, Senator Durbin the leading member of the Democratic Caucus, the Senate, and the rhino, Senator Lindsey Graham from uh, South Carolina, and their partners came forth with what they called a bipartisan agreement to put to Trump. Uh, And that agreement was a clean bill, basically an amnesty 
to for the DACA or the Dreamers that they're calling without any of the demands on the side of Trump and the people that Trump represent as the president of the United States. That is, there has to be an end to chain migration. That is, there has to be border security. That is, there has to be funding of the wall. So Trump has said that, you know, I'm ready to listen to you, come up with a proposal that is takes into consideration our demand, and we can have a deal. So when they come up with this absolutely unacceptable proposal, a darker, clean bill amnesty, Trump is supposed to have used some heavy languages. Durbin comes out and said Trump talked about shithole countries. Why do you want people from shithole countries coming to America instead of you know, immigrants from Norway. Now, the Republican senators who were in the room, particularly Senator Tom Cotton from Arkansas and Senator Perdue from Georgia, they came out and said, no, no such language was used, except that there was some heavy pushing back and forth. So it seems to me that on one side, there's a denial that is Republican senators and congressmen have said that no, no such language was used. But yes, some heavy language was used by Trump to push back on what the, the deal makers brought forward. Senator Durbin went out and accused Trump of being a racist. So let's put this in perspective. The day that Trump came down, the, escalator in Trump Tower in June 2015 and said that he's going to run for uh, the American presidency and will be a Republican candidate. The main issue he put forward was security, border security. He'll build a wall and he will stop the Mexicans, the rapists, the gangsters, the yeah. drug dealers from coming in. And he called out and people went berserk that Trump was being racist, he was calling Mexican illegals rapists and gangsters and drug dealers. What happened? Trump is the president. Yeah. <laughs> that means, it goes back without getting into too much detail, what happened was Trump took a sledgehammer on political correctness and destroyed it. Well, it's very ironic as well because Bill Clinton, Barack Obama have said the same thing. Now, they didn't necessarily mean a wall in the sense that Trump has suggested, but they said that they have to increase the security with their southern border to stop Mexican illegals from coming in. Both of those Democratic presidents said the exact same thing, and of course, uh, the media give them a pass. Well, not only it's a talking point, uh, I would say, Robert, uh, this has been the Democratic talking point going all the way to the first amnesty with Ronald Reagan in 1986. The deal was that there would be an amnesty for the illegal and there would be security. So when the time comes that the security issue has to be dealt with, the Democrats have not delivered. That's 1986, 30 years ago. Trump is the first guy who's coming along 31 years later after, after Reagan and says, no deal. First you give security, then we're going to talk about anything else. He has reversed the situation. Mm -hmm. The democratic agenda is you change the profile of America. You change the culture of America through immigration. Legal or illegal doesn't matter. You bring in people who will become voters for the Democratic Party. Because the Democratic Party has gone so far to the left that the mainstream American population 
will not elect them. So that's the two culture I'm talking about. The culture, the coastal culture, the culture of the elite, the academia, the mainstream press, the Hollywood culture, and the culture of common American, which is the flyover country. And the culture of the flyover country is not a culture defined by Anglo-Saxon or Wasp. It is a culture of America. That is the culture that Americans of all different ethnic backgrounds, racial background, religious background, who have migrated to America over generations, they left behind whatever they were when they arrived in America and they became American. That is the American creed of defending democracy, republicanism, but most importantly, freedom, individual rights. January 20th, 2017, will be remembered as the day the people became the rulers of this nation again. The forgotten men and women of our country will be forgotten no longer. Everyone is listening to you now. You came by the tens of millions to become part of a historic movement the likes of which the world has never seen before. At the center of this movement is a crucial conviction that a nation exists to serve its citizens. Americans want great schools for their children, safe neighborhoods for their families, and good jobs for themselves. These are just and reasonable demands of righteous people and a righteous public. If it weren't for me, you wouldn't even be talking about illegal immigration, Chris. You wouldn't even be talking about it. Salim, Trump's comments about Haiti and African immigrants, I think, was taken up by the left to indicate his supposed racism. And yet, can't you malign and properly malign these failed countries and failed cultures without referring to race? I never heard Trump refer to race at all in any of his comments about immigration. He's always referring to illegals, and he's referring to cultures. Never, ever race. Has race taken on a different meaning than the the meaning from the dictionary, which is basically that race refers to race, not ethnicity, not culture, not politics, not financial uh, wherewithal, and yet it seems that the left is using that to redefine the word race. Yes, and that's interestingly what um, Bob read in the piece from Gwyn Dyer, the immediate connection that shithole means African countries and yeah, Haiti. If I, if I were to say that Ontario is a crap hole, is, what race am I, I opposed to? Precisely. Because, uh, because you're, you're naming it, a nation, and, and I would say it's true, 
So what do you do? You pick the majority color in that country? Only a racist would think like that. And so I would say Gwyn Dyer's a racist. Yes, and, and I would agree with that. But it is even worse. It is, in fact, an insult to the people yes. who are coming from the shithole country because they want to get rid of, they want to get out of shithole country. Shithole country is a country that have failed. There's a great little they're, they're, video they're, they're, of this they're, they're, Nigerian they're, immigrant has put on the YouTube saying that Trump is absolutely correct. I left Nigeria because it was a shithole. And he says, I'm going to go back and try to change it. I can talk from my personal experience, mm-hmm. you know, but I want to come back to this. For the left to talk seriously about shithole country is to make the admission that their entire policy, their entire politics, their entire ideology leads a normal, balanced culture, whatever state of it is, whether it's an agricultural economy, whether it is a natural resource economy, or whether it's an industrial economy. Once you put into effect the left-wing political economy as policy into play, those economy will become shithole economy. Right. So where is Soviet Union today? The great utopia of everything that the left and Marx imagined. Well, it became a shithole country. As as a matter of fact, nobody ever asked the question, why are they shithole countries? Why? And it's because of their political philosophy, not because of their race. That's why they're not asking it. This is the point. Because they're finding their own ideologies under attack when Trump says that. They're collectivist economies. Haiti is a collectivist layover from French corruption. Um, most of Africa is, is corrupt, collectivist, tribalist countries. And so, of course, they don't want to, well, they, don't, what, what they have about, to protect what, those what, countries because they're collectivists too. What, what about the iconic state for the left in the Caribbean, that is Cuba? People jumping into life raft mm-hmm. or into the open sea, shark infested, to swim away and run away from Cuba. Why? Because Cuba is a shithole country. So the measure of a shithole country is in all the economic and socioeconomic indices that we can see. What is Afghanistan? What is Somalia? The president of Uganda, only the other day, President Yoweri Museveni, said, I frankly love Trump because he has said exactly the right thing about Africa. We are weak countries. We are failing countries. We need to become strong countries. So it is an insult to, in fact, the people. I mean, for Gwyndire to say that, you know, Trump is a racist because he has talked about shithole countries is absolutely fallacious. Trump has talked about shithole countries as a dire condition where these countries have betrayed their own people. Let me say that from my personal experience. I was born in Calcutta. Mm-hmm. If Calcutta which was at one time under the British rule and British Empire, known as Paris of the East. It was the capital of British India. Once Britain left and became gave independence to India, Calcutta deteriorated and decayed so badly that Calcutta was taken as the city from where this armada sets off to come to Europe in the book 
Camp of the Saints by Jean Raspel. Why? Because people desperately wanted to leave Calcutta, to flee Calcutta. So here is a city that was so degraded that men and women lived in the streets and died in the street that it took a European woman, a Catholic missionary, to go to Calcutta and help save the people of Calcutta. And I'm talking about Mother Teresa, who is today Saint Teresa, for the work she did in Calcutta to save the people in the last moments of their life from the degradation in which they were living, which is what? A shithole city. Okay? So, the people from Africa, from Haiti, from Uganda, from Afghanistan, from Somalia, from Cambodia, to tell them that they are not a shithole country is to insult their intelligence. That's right. It is to insult them and to say you should live there. It also reflects the racism on the part of the person Absolutely. using those words. And, and you know, we've always argued that all racism, all collectivism, all group identities emanate from the left. And, yeah. and that's the source of it. When, prime, when the current prime minister of India was elected in 2014, that is Prime Minister Narendra Modi, of the world's largest democracy, India is the world's largest democracy, he gets elected. The first year, what is his priority? This is his public campaign. This is not fiction. This is reality. Prime Minister Modi's public campaign was inaugurated by calling for a toilet day. Why? Because half the population of India, mind you, half the population of India, 1.2 billion people, so you do your mm -hmm. maths, they defecate. They relieve themselves in the rivers, canals, ponds, and paddy fields of India. They don't have a private access to a private toilet with running water right. to clean themselves. Trump may have been using, in a sense, a vulgar term, no debate about it, but his intention was to challenge his democratic opposition. What are they doing? Why are they pushing their agenda to unload upon the American people illegal and legal immigrants who do not in any way meet the requirement and standards for America's needs? That's the question right. that the Democrats are not answering. As we've said on the show before, it's not the color of your skin we object to. It's the color of your ideas. And the ideas exactly. of the left are red. And that's what Trump is raiding against. That's right. He looks at these countries and their shithole countries because they are red countries. But red in the sense of the old communist red. And that's um, a very visceral response for him because he understands it implicitly, I believe, that these countries, when they come into, into the United States... They're coming in preferentially over, say, people from uh, Scandinavian countries, is what you mentioned, because he understands that these people are brought in preferentially to vote Democrat, to bolster the left-wing ideology of the Democratic Party. And so he doesn't really have to ask the question, why are we taking these people in from these countries? I think he understands why, and I think we understand why. And he's giving, and he's giving voice to the people of America, that is the flyover country. They understand exactly what Trump meant by that because they saw what happened. The Democratic Party is willing to shut down the American government for the illegal in America 
or what the requirements of American citizens. It's about a brazen plot to again exonerate Hillary Clinton from a clear violation of the law with regard to the way she handled classified information with her private server. Absolutely a crime, absolutely a felony. It's about finding out, as the Inspector General is doing at the Department of Justice, why Comey and the senior DOJ officials conducted a fake criminal investigation of Hillary Clinton. It's a farce, and everybody knew it was a farce. The problem was she didn't win. And because she didn't win, the farce became a very serious opera. And she was going to be the focus. This is about a lavabo, a cleansing of the FBI and the upper echelons of the Department of Justice. We're going to discover that the Attorney General Loretta Lynch, her deputy Sally Yates, uh, the head of the National Security Division John Carlin, Bruce Orr, and other senior DOJ officials and, regrettably, line attorneys, people who were senior career civil servants, violated the law, perhaps committed crimes, and covered up crimes by a presidential candidate. But more than that, they tried to frame an incoming president with a false Russian conspiracy that never existed, and they knew it, and they plotted to ruin him as a candidate and then destroy him as a president. That's why connecting the dots is important, because the FBI now has to be completely reconstructed from the ground up. Uh, the only thing the American journalism community seems to care about is destroying J Donald Trump. It's fascinating to me that the people who cared so deeply about governmental institutions in Watergate could care less about them now because it's re another Republican who's being uh, destroyed. This is as bad as it gets. When you have the government, the FBI and the DOJ being absolutely corrupted, and when you have the journalistic community being bought, it seems to me that's, that's pretty bad for all the institutions involved. Journalism is now below Congress in terms of uh, approval ratings. This is not going to help them. You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Thank you to our financial supporters who've made it possible for us to continue on our journey in the right direction and to share our programming with the world. Be sure to visit www.justrightmedia.org to offer your financial support. And while you're there, sample some of our timeless archive broadcasts. And we just heard Joe DiGenova speaking about Russian collusion, which has absolutely been a mythology <laughs> that has been perpetrated upon Americans since Trump entered the electoral stage. Where are we at with that now? So, Fabricated story. I think it's all coming now to a final culmination, you know, and... Will I, it ever be acknowledged by the left-wing media? Because I'm still hearing them even the, in the midst of all this talking like none of this is going on. But it doesn't matter whether the left-wing does or doesn't. I mean, here is the irony. I mean, the, the left-wing made their fame and fortune by talking about and exposing Nixon on the Watergate issue. And now the same media and the same people, in fact, Carl Bernstein and company are unwilling to do their job what they 
did, quote unquote, in 1970-71-72 that led to the Watergate scandal. Uh, in the Watergate scandal, the point at which the whole thing broke up was the missing 18 minutes tape, remember? Mm -hmm. Richard Nixon. And when he was asked to produce that tape, he couldn't or he wouldn't produce that tape. And that's what's the point when the story eventually broke and ultimately it led to his resignation. We have today 30,000 emails missing from uh, Hillary Clinton's server, and the latest has been the 50,000 missing texts between the FBI counterintelligence official Peter Stroke and his gal pal in the DOJ, that is the Department of Justice office, Lisa Page, uh, between December of 2016 and May of 2017, the period in time when the Trump-Russia collusion story was riding very high and which led to the firing of James Comey, the FBI director, by Trump in May and the appointment of Mueller as special counsel by Ron Rodenstein, the deputy attorney general. And there's 50,000 missing and the media is totally silent about it. So where are we now? I think this whole one year has been the unraveling. If there was even a smell of Trump-Russia collusion, it would have been produced. Nothing has been produced. In fact, what has happened is they've gone in the direction of trying to get Trump on now obstruction charge. But obstruction of what? If there was no crime, what is Trump obstructing? In fact, it's just been the reverse. Trump has obstructed nothing. He has just allowed them to carry on. And we can now see, as you played the tape mm -hmm. of Joe DiGenova, that this was indeed a huge conspiracy launched by the Obama White House and the Obama officials in the dying days of the Obama presidency to implicate Trump on a false fabricated charge of Russia-Trump collusion. So that would lead to, presumably, an impeachment and a removal of Trump from the White House, from the Oval Office. And all of that now has or is being slowly exposed. You know, those 18 minutes that were supposedly erased from Nixon's private recordings in his office pale in comparison to the litany of illegal activities perpetrated by Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, Barack Obama, uh, the FBI agents, all those involved in this shadow government that Joe DiGenova is talking about, they just pale. Any one of them could have brought down the Barack Obama White House if the media had done the job that the Bernsteins of the world did back at the time of Nixon. And it's unfortunate that it's not just a failure, in my estimation, of the media. It's a failure of the people in charge of justice in the United States, from the FBI to the Department of Justice. And I think DeGenova has pointed out that one of the heroes of this was the general, who's the head of the NSA, who brought this to Trump's attention and Trump, uh, uh, letting him know that his Trump Tower was bugged by Obama. Yeah, Admiral Mike Rogers. Well, what was the story? I mean, let's put it very briefly together. Admiral, yes, sorry. Uh, for your audience and then see how it's slowly being exposed. It was during the campaign that the DNC paid for this dossier manufactured by Fusion GPS. Uh, it was owner Glenn Simpson. 
who uh, was a journalist a, for the was journalist Washington Post and, and, and a contractor who runs this company, intelligence uh, opposition research company called Fusion GPS. They created a dossier through the work of a hired gun who was a former British MI6 spy responsible for Russia, that is Christopher Steele. And the dossier was about Trump going to Moscow, Trump's uh, having relationship with Putin, Trump hiring prostitutes to pee on the bed that presumably Obama slept in on his visit to Moscow, and so on and so forth. So this dossier pointing to Trump's relationship with Putin and Putin financing Trump was then paid by the DNC, the Democratic National Committee, and Hillary campaign, was released to the FBI, and on the basis of this dossier and claims of the dossier, the FBI started looking into the Trump campaign and put taps on Trump campaign, individuals of Trump campaign, spying on Trump campaign. You know, that means they violated the Foreign Intelligence Service Act, that is the gathering of foreign intelligence and unmasking of American citizens. No, on, on in, this came, in this case being uh, Trump campaign people, yes? On whose orders would they do that? Like, does the FBI just act on its own, or were they afraid no. of Trump on their own because of what Trump represented and could expose? Well, the FBI got the information. They have to go to the DOJ, the Department of Justice. Justice. So the Department of Justice then have to uh, give the, make the case to listen into these, to get wiretaps and do the unmasking, which in effect means that the DOJ, that is the Attorney General, who is responsible for the department but is working for the president, have to get the clearance. So all of this reaches, backs up all the way into the Obama White House. That is, Obama's people and people around Obama in the White Susan Rice, the National Security Council advisor, and her aides and others, that they were asking, who are these people that is coming up in the wiretaps and in, in the listening uh, outposts of the electronic surveillance of foreign in people, that is, the Russians. So that's the connection. When, when Trump said, going all the way back, in January of 2017, soon after his election and as he was getting into preparing for the inauguration, that Obama has wiretapped him, Obama has been listening to him, all hell broke loose. Oh, they laughed that at him. Not only laughed at him, that it, this was false accusation on mm -hmm. Obama and that, you know, this man cannot be trusted and so on and so forth. Well, by Trump releasing that information, People started focusing on it, especially people in the Congress, the various committees on intelligence, both of them, these committees being under now the leadership of the Republicans in the House and the Senate, started asking questions. That's how the files started being tracked down and people getting to see the dots that were being connected. So why did this all happen? It happened because there was a almost a certainty on the part of the Obama people, the Clinton people, and the people working in the FBI and the DOJ that whatever may have been the improper 
or the criminal act in breaking the various federal statutes, that none of these would matter because Trump would not get elected. Right. It would be Hillary he would be elected. And once Hillary elected, all of these would be moot, will be driven off. It explains great, her reaction on election night, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the people involved, Peter Stroke, Lisa Page, Bruce Orr, who was the uh, number four man in the DOJ, going all the way up to Loretta Lynch, who was the attorney general. You remember the famous meeting with Bill Clinton on the tarmac in, Ari- in, in Phoenix, Arizona. We have not talked about the email scandal, but, you know, the, the whole issue about Comey coming out and saying that Hillary had broken all the various statutes by having this homebrew server and not having her email through the government-approved secure server, the State Department server, that she had broken all of these statutes, and yet she would not be indicted because she had no intent of breaking them. You know, that created a huge noise in July of 2016 while the campaign was going on. And that happened a few days after Loretta Lynch had met with Bill Clinton on the Phoenix, Arizona. All of these things were done on the assumption that none of these things would matter, that on November the 8th, we will have President Hillary Clinton. And lo and behold, it was Trump who was elected. So talk about the competing narratives in the scandal world right now, and what's the important timelines that, are, that you're watching? Well, I, what, what's fascinating to me is how the people who want to defend everything that the Bureau has done or the Department of Justice or the Clintons have turned to a series of narratives uh, to replace the truth. For example, um, once this whole thing broke, when, when President Trump said, I was spied on by the President of the United States, he was laughed at. In fact, he was spied on by the President of the United States by Barack Obama, under Barack Obama's orders, and under the orders of John Brennan, and Clapper, the Director of National Intelligence, and Susan Rice, the National Security Advisor, and Ben Rhodes, the Deputy National Security Advisor. Because what they did, which was part of a scheme which began in the year 2016, was to try to figure out a way to help Hillary Clinton get elected by exonerating her in her email scandal, in her private server in New York, and then she would be elected, and then the problem of Donald Trump would go away. The problem was she lost. And when she lost, they had time between the election in November of 2016 and the time between the president was inaugurated to try and do damage, uh, to cover up what they had done with Fusion GPS and a bunch of other people before the election, and to make it perfect after the election, to secure the storyline. did it again. What? The byline by Clark Kent and Lois Lane. Special contribution so by much. Linda King. Oh, right. How did she do that? Harry, wait, Mr. White is such a generous man. You have no shame. Yes, I do. Not a lot, but some. So what's next for you? 
I've taken a job on the coast. Lois, I wanted to say something to you. Don't. Look at it this way. Maybe you're the reporter you are because of the competition you felt with me. So, Linda, uh, what paper are you going to work with on the coast? No paper. I'm out of the news. I just optioned the film rights to my inside story to Preston Carpenter's Fall from Grace. It's obscene how much money these Hollywood producers can throw at you. <laughs> so who's going to play you? Oh, I don't know. They're going to get some big name. But I did have it put in my contract that I get to play one of the small parts. What part is that? I'll try and do you justice. Celine, what you're talking about would make a great movie. Though I don't think that Hollywood today is going to be financing such a such a, a production. It's amazing that Hollywood, the press, academia, the Just Depar- Justice Department, the FBI, all of the institutions of the United States of America have been in opposition to what Donald Trump represents, and yet he still gets elected. Does this speak to the two solitudes that you mentioned earlier on in the show in the United States? Yes, I think so. I think it speaks to the issue of the fact that America is now a very divided country, as America was a divided country leading up to the Civil War of 1860, the North and the South. There were two values, two cultures, two ways of looking at the issues. And we are in a similar situation right now. We are in a situation in which one side, that is the democratic culture, the culture that you talked about, the media, the academia, the Hollywood, is the culture of the idea that the state and the people who run the state, the deep state, they know what is right for you. And they are going to impose upon the rest of the society what they think is right. Here's an aside for you. I posted that uh, Daily Caller video of Joe DiGenova on Twitter. Now, normally my tweets can get upwards of 300 impressions. You know, I'm no Dave Rubin. (laughs) But, you know, 300 impressions, 300 people looking at what I tweet. That's fine. That tweet that I did of Joe Gianova got nine impressions after a day. Now, you talk about shadow banning. This has definitely been shadow banned by Twitter. And so when I just mentioned Hollywood, mainstream media, academia, uh, law enforcement, all of the institutions of the United States, we now can add to that the social media giants of Twitter, Facebook, um, Instagram, all of those people, Google, all of the forces that are placed against the common American person who would support what Trump is doing, it just staggers the imagination that he even got elected. It staggers it. It is. And so coming back to it, the two Americas or the two cultures or the two values that have become more and more prominent, I mean, it took time. And we reached, in a sense, the breaking point in the 2016 election or the dividing line became very clearly visible. And so on the one side, as I was explaining, is the elite culture that they know best of what it is and they're going to decide. And they're going to decide on the basis of executive orders and an activist judiciary. 
Look, I mean, it all began, you might say, going all the way back to the Roe versus Wade decision of the Supreme Court in 1974 that uh, approved of abortion or legalized abortion, you know. And from then on, you can see the drift that has come along. A judiciary decision that has led to some 60 million fetus aborted, that means 60 million deaths is a huge dividing line between a culture that values life as sacred and a culture that is willing to see life as dispensable, which is what abortion is, because it's inconvenient and you can get rid of it. So that's one side of the culture. Added to that is in this roughly 40-year, 50-year period, that's almost half century, we have seen a profound technological transformation of the world. The computer age has truly been as important a transformation as was the making of, say, the internal combustion engine at the end of the 19th century or the electric light bulb, Edison, you know. So it's, it's, it's been a hugely transformational because it has led to communication and information revolution in the world. And what has that led to? Globalization. And from there comes the issue of globalism, a world without borders. And so the elites in America that you have mentioned, the group, they connect with the elites around the world. For them, the loyalty is not to the state with bounded borders. It is to this concept of globalism that now we live in one world without borders. And we, the Davos elite, know what is right. We know that there is climate change and we're going to, you know, we're going to impose it upon the rest. We're going to tox carbon and we're going to do whatever we have to do. You know, the presumption that we're going to control the movement of the sun by a process of taxation. And anybody who challenges that uh, will be declared a denier like the Holocaust denier and to be shamed and to be removed from any polite discussion. Now, that's one culture. The opposite to that is the culture that values the nation state. So that's where it comes to America, which was also reflected in the Brexit vote in Britain, in the United Kingdom in 2016 to get out of the uh, European Union. So a world without borders, as opposed to a world that respects borders, that means it respects your identity as a deep culture belonging to a certain people. So whether it's Chinese culture, Indian culture, Japanese culture, in the case of America, American culture, you know, and to water it down, which is what the coastal elite wants to do. You know, there is no concept of treason. There is no concept of legality and illegality. Anybody who wants to be in America has the right to be in America. We have the right to be here. Americans have no right to deny us, that is, whichever American is here, because you also were an immigrant at some point in time. So your argument that you were going to deny me the right to be in America is completely outrageous, racist, xenophobic, etc., etc., etc. So I think this is where we have arrived at. And Trump represents the defense of that deep culture bounded by boundaries. Now, wasn't there in the past America took a different view? Like America is an idea, as I've heard many philosophers suggest, and it's an idea of freedom. And in the past, rather than talking about immigration and giving people a quote-unquote right to come to America so they can enjoy freedom, America was thinking more in terms of let's bring freedom to the people 
outside of America. Am I looking at the past backwards? When I, I think when so. I, yeah? I think so. This is because you saying that that was never America's attitude. No, I mean why I, all the, the interventions the, 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 the founding fathers were committed to the idea of individual freedom, you know, life, liberty, and the sure. pursuit of happiness, as the Declaration of Independence says. But those abstract ideas have to be pulled together into a vessel. Correct. And that vessel is the nation state. Right. So that is the foundation. So this is the old tension between universality and particularism. Universal is an abstraction, but it has to be given body and shape in a particular. So the debate in America right from its founding years was, yes, we are going to build a republic, but we are not going to go and build a republic for somebody else. It is for us. We are going to build it. We're going to share it with us. So you take right at the founding principle. No American went out. There was no American brigade going to fight in France for the revolutionary France, which happened a decade after the American Revolution. Yeah, I don't think that's what I was implying in terms of... So then what else? What are no, you I'm implying? I'm just t- talking about okay. how America has been acting, like Trump saying we're not going to try and build your nations anymore, which apparently the previous administrations were trying to do. And I think in some way even the Obama administration, the Clinton administration, you know, they kept talking in terms of bringing democracy to some of these nations that had no sense of democracy. Well, I think, I think again, these are matters that has to be again... Foreign policy, I guess. Uh, yeah, and at the foreign policy have to be discussed not only only in the context of what was happening and America's role in world politics, and then what was America's choices or responsibility. In the Second World War and in the First World War, America was dragged into European conflict. Americans fought and died to defeat totalitarian powers. In that sense, to defeat totalitarian powers meant to bring freedom for those countries that had gone under totalitarian. And they only did it in retaliation of Pearl Harbor. They sat on their hands for That's two right. years while the rest of the world yes. fought totalitarianism. Right, so they did that, and, and you know, again, went all the way into Japan and helped rebuild Japan or helped That's rebuild... That's the kind of thing and, I was talking and, about. And, and, and you, you're talking about... That is a policy decision that was done. Right. Okay, but then America came back. So what happened in Iraq, you're coming back to it when you said the previous was again a policy debate and that policy debate was again fought over in the 2016 primary so you had on the one side those that defended bush's policy the defense of bush policy was done by his brother jeb bush that is what came to be identified as neoconservatism that america is going to be engaged in nation building and Trump argued that, no, it is not our business to be engaged in nation-building. We may help others, but we're not going to go and build a country for the Afghans or for the Iraq or for whoever. Now, this debate... But doesn't, doesn't that immediately make the immigration issue more critical? Because now, instead of saying we're going to free you in your country, we're going to let you into our country because your country's a crap hole, you know, and will always be that way. You so now, to, you, now you, immigration becomes important for the freedom you, you, of people. You, you might want to link up the two. Mm-hmm. But again, as I said, you have to discuss it in the context of history and, and timeline. At one point, America was open to immigration. So through the 19th century, there was pretty much European coming to America that happened. Then there was a period of time when immigration stopped. 
when the doors were stopped, either through public policy sure. or through other circumstances, right through till the end of World War I. Then again, the doors were open for a brief while. And then again, it was stopped. And then the door in the, in the contemporary time was opened in 1965. That is the Kennedy Act, which was an open border. And that was done in the context of the rivalry with Soviet Union. In the conflict with the Soviet Union, uh, an engagement in defeating communism, America's position became that America will accept people from around the world. And there are a number of policies were laid out, Alliance for Progress, Peace Corps, U.S. assistance and development program for what Trump might call shithole countries, but which, from the point of view of ac academic literature, you don't use the word shithole, you say call them third world countries right. or developing but, but countries. It, but even in the past... So again, the right to immigration was not considered a right of anybody, such as so it is that, today. This so, is what so, I so see. So back you are. You were the one conflating the two. Right. You have to separate them, because the issue was never that America doesn't have the right to control who will come into America and who will not come into America. In other words, it is Americans who decide whether they will accept or not accept immigrants from whichever part of the world, whether it will be open border or selective or merit-based, okay? So that is a decision which is the decision inherent in a sovereign country. Right. I mean, you decide who will come into your house, into your apartment, you know? Nobody can just walk into it. So this concurrent debate is taking place within the framework I am proposing to you. On one side are the globalists, globalization. This is the shift that has taken place over the past 50 years. Uh, world without borders. In fact, there are books with this title, World Without Borders, you know, that borders are in fact, you know, racist, ethnocentric, unjust. We, we don't need to have borders, okay? And on the other side is the older value that there are deep cultures and nation states and sovereignty. And people will decide who is going to do, uh, allow or permit who comes in and who doesn't come in. Now, this debate doesn't take place in China. Nobody is immigrating to China. I don't see the Russians are engaged in this debate. I don't see the Indians are engaged in this debate. I don't see anyone. This debate is only of interest in a country like United States, Canada, and some of the countries of Europe. You know, I wouldn't mind a global society. If that global society had institutions to protect a person's individual right to their life, liberty, property, pursuit of happiness, I'm saying count me in. But we are countless generations away from that as long as the ideas of collectivism have taken hold in the majority of the world and they, that majority want to come in and destroy those ideas of individualism in the United States, Canada, the West, and they're doing a darn good job of it in Europe. But as an idea, globalism is fine as long as that, that caveat is meant that, that people's individual rights, capitalism, freedom are protected. But I don't see it. So uh, in any case, that's our time for today. Salim, thank you for joining us once again. And we'll ask our listeners to join us again next week when we will continue our own solitude journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right. And be right back here. We'll see you then. Thank you.
Thank you. <laughs> Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. Now, Daddy, the set is always tuned to what you want to watch. So just this once, can't you share a little, huh? The special on environment, it's important to Michael and me. Yeah, because it's tearing the country down. That's what you like, to sit around and watch a bunch of jerks tearing the country down around us. Archie, pollution is a fact of life, and it's not just America, it's worldwide. The special with Jack Lemmon... Now, will you leave me alone about that special, and you know what you can do with your Jack Lemmon? Yeah, and you know what you can do with your John Wayne. Yeah, well, what about John Wayne? <laughs> and before you say anything, let me warn you, when you're talking about the Duke, you ain't just talking about an actor. You're talking about the spirit that made America great. 